Hello everyone and welcome in today's Irish NFL show with me, Colm Cronin, and I am delighted to be joined by a good friend of the show at this point, a man I always enjoy chatting to from Sports Radio 610, Sean Pendergast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Colm. How are you doing? How are things over in Ireland? Things are, are pretty good. Uh, I would have to, to say we're just coming off the back of uh, Halloween, which is obviously a big celebration in, in this part of the, the world. But I think the we don't have the, the sunshine that I can see out your window. And uh, my, t- my team is, is not doing as well as, uh, you know, the, the, the Texans. Now, when I spoke to you, that was back in the spring. Um D'Amico had just got the job. There was so much excitement. I think the title on the episode was The Chosen One. And we talked about how the Broncos had maybe tried to jump in at the end. But D'Amico went to Texans. The draft hadn't happened. And I suppose I'm I'm interested because I looked at it and I I will I'll hold my hand up. I had concerns about how much the Texans gave up to go back up to three um, after getting um, you know, CJ Stroud at two and wondering how impactful Will Anderson could be. Were were there any were there any quibbles with that amongst Texan fans, or was everyone kind of so bought into D'Amico that, you know, um they that everyone was just kind of yeah, fu- fully behind it? Yeah, I think I, I think the reaction to Will Anderson, which I will say, I mean, there were some people obviously who were nervous about giving up the Texans first round pick to move up to three uh, from 12 and get Will Anderson. So there's never unanimity, unanimity uh, consensus with anything like this. There's always factions that feel a certain kind of way. I, I do feel like a majority of Texan fans really just love the aggressiveness of the move. It was very un-Texan-like. Um, it was uh, exciting. Um, it made the Texans the story of the NFL for a day for something other than having Jack Easterby as their as their, uh, you know, chaplain turned VP behind the scenes or Deshaun Watson or firing a coach again. Um, it put the Texans in the spotlight in such a, a fun and positive way that in the moment, I think everybody really liked it. And I think, I think, I mean, you asked, you, you kind of mixed D'Amico's name into your question. I think it probably, everybody loves D'Amico, obviously, here. I think the excitement surrounding Will Anderson and CJ that draft night probably had probably had more to do with the overall direction of the team than, than just D'Amico. Like, do, um, it was the next in a series of really positive things that had happened for the Texans, starting with the hiring of D'Amico Ryans back in January. And I think so far, you know, we're seven games into it, and I think the C.J. Stroud pick looks like a home run. I think the Will Anderson pick is going to wind up being a home run. You know, Will has one sack on the season in seven games, but if you watch the Texans play – um, you know, if you've watched them this year on a snap-to-snap basis, it's very clear Will Anderson has all the makings of a very impactful player. Plays a ton of snaps, creates a lot of pressure, plays very aggressively. When he shows up, he shows up big. Um, so I think everybody's pretty excited about Will Anderson. The interesting thing, Colin, will be to see at the end of the year, has Will Anderson had the kind of rookie year where now that we've got, you know, several months to stew on it, including the draft itself, and especially once the draft rolls around and the Cardinals are using whatever pick that is to go get whatever it is they use it for, that'll be the referendum. That'll be when people are looking at Will's year. And probably a lot of people just look at the back of his football card and how many sacks he has. And that'll be, for the moment, that'll be the referendum on it. I'm very positive about it. I think that I think the organization needed an adrenaline boost like that. That's hard to quantify what that means. 
But um, but overall, I think people feel really, really good about both CJ and yeah, and I suppose I asked about Will and that pick first. I wanted to hold my hands up to, you know, getting it wrong as, as such. Because I think he has been impactful, even if he hasn't had the sacks. You can see from watching it, like, the impact and, like, how much he, he confusion he causes. But, yeah, sorry, I jumped in ahead of you there. No, no, real quick. Well, you made me think of something there. I, I think the other thing to point out about Will Anderson is he's got, obviously, a ton of natural ability. But I think what people need to understand in terms of his progression is he's a maniacal worker. Like, a maniacal worker. And... And he's a student of the game. He's already he's already developed a friendship with J.J. Watt, you know, of course, a Texan legend who's now been back kind of around the team a little bit this season with going to the Ring of Honor and stuff like that. They've exchanged phone numbers, and Will jokes about how he pesters J.J. with film and things like that so he can take a look at it for him. Will's a real student of the game, so I think whatever he looks like, whatever his numbers look like at the end of the year, and whatever he looks like as a player, because he's still very raw in some respects, um, there's a lot of refinement that needs to go, go on with him with pass rushing moves and so forth. He is going to work. He will get the best, whatever the best version is of Will Anderson, he's going to get there, assuming he's healthy. That's just the question. Like, what is the best version of Will Anderson? It won't be because of a, a lack of want to or putting the time in that doesn't get him there. Yeah, and I suppose the the other pick is the the one who's kind of been flying, right, and is getting uh, deserved kind of his, his laurels already. I... I want to talk a little bit about that, right? Because in the in the run up to the draft, it seemed like CJ was the kind of consensus number one in January, February, and all of a sudden that began to to kind of change as we got like maybe three, four weeks out from from the draft, and then you know since then we have seen the the stories uh, that have come out. We've seen Frank Reich at the podium heard plenty from guys who know Frank Reich beat writers up in uh, Indianapolis who said like CJ was always his guy and David Tepper got involved and etc etc if it had gone the other the other way and the um, the Panthers had taken CJ were, were the Texans always nailed on to take Bryce, were they always take ta- or to take Bryce Young to take Andy Richardson, or were they always take taking a QB? Uh, where at, at that point, Sean, I think they were always taking a QB. I think D'Amico Ryan's even, I mean, hinted at it is probably understating it. Like he said in an interview at one point during the draft process, you know, in that February and March time frame, that he was asked point blank about it, and he said he didn't say he didn't say them by name, but he said there's two quarterbacks, and we're going to evaluate both of them. And, Essentially, all but said, we're going to take one of these two guys. I mean, at that point, they knew they were picking second. Um, the the conjecture is that if they had the first pick, let's say they hadn't, they let's say they'd lost to the Colts in Week 18, like everybody in the in, in Houston wanted them to. Uh, the the conjecture is they would have taken Bryce Young, which I could see. You know, I mean, other than size, he fits everything that certainly Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryan's would be looking for in a quarterback. And I still think Bryce Young's going to be a good football player. Um, CJ's been better so far this past week's game, notwithstanding over the aggregate of the seven games, you know, Bryce won the head to head, but CJ's had the better season so far. There's no question about that. Um, but I think we're all really happy here in Houston that it played out the way it did. You know, CJ's been more than what we asked for. I think we knew about like, you know, his background, good kid came, came through some struggles, some adversity. We knew what his strengths were coming into the, coming into the process. We all knew how accurate he was with the football, how well, how good he, how good his mechanics were and how he delivered the football. I think the things that we've maybe found a little um, surprising, pleasantly, 
is that he's probably better athletically than he's given credit for. You know, that Georgia game that he played in that playoff game, I think, revealed some of that, his ability to use his legs. Um, he's a quick study, and I think that's the thing that gives Texan fans the most hope is that things that he's not done well, he's usually doing them well or doing them significantly better within a couple, two, three weeks of that. You know what I mean? Like, he early on, the operation was very slow. He was slow getting in and out of the huddle, slow getting just thing, you know, just kind of getting things moving. It became a focal point during training camp in the early part of the season, and that got remedied. Um, ironically, it was a delay of game penalty that pushed him out of field goal range at the end of the game. It's the first delay of game penalty he's had all year, seven games into his rookie season. Came at the worst possible time. Um, but taking sacks was a problem early in the season. He took 11 sacks in two games, and some of that was his fault, holding onto the ball too long, you know, kind of running backwards from the pocket instead of stepping up, things like that. He went on to not take a sack for the next three games after that. Zero sack. That was with a makeshift offensive line that didn't have Laramie Tunsil or Titus Howard out there. So, He's been very quick, and I think the next step for him, Column, the thing that teams have done to him since the Atlanta game in Week 5 is they've played a lot of deep zone on him and only rushed three guys. They blitzed a lot less. They blitzed him a lot those first four games, and he burned them with the blitz. That's why Nico Collins was putting up all those numbers on catch and runs. He was great. It turned out he's really good at finding hot receivers and throwing with anticipation. <clears throat> so that'll be the next step for, for CJ is, okay, now this is the chess move they've made for me. I think he needs help from the running game. Texans have an awful running game right now, and he needs help from Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator with the play calling. But CJ's been awesome. You know, I'm, I'm glad they have the second pick. I'm glad he's our quarterback, and I think he's going to be really, really good. Yeah, no, it certainly has been very uh, impressive uh, thus far. I, I am a little bit interested in, in terms of, you know, what went wrong last weekend, right? Because... The Texans didn't see, outside of that Ravens game, and hey, the Ravens look like they're going to be one of the best in the AFC. Everything is kind of clicking. But the the Texans were putting up like 20, 20 points a, a game. and No no problem. And uh, I can tell you from, Den from a Denver perspective, that's not always easy to do. But then last week against the, the Panthers, I mean, both uh, sides kind of struggled. It was a real kind of a slog fest. What was it that kind of slowed the the Texans up um, when other teams haven't been able to, to do that to them, Sean? Well, as I said, they don't run the football well. That, that, that's just empirically, forget about situationally or down in distance or short yardage long. They just don't run the football well. Their offensive line still looks very confused blocking this. Their run game looks a lot like it did under Pep Hamilton and Tim Kelly the two years before this, just in terms of output and just guys making mental errors up there. They've certainly invested plenty of capital into the offensive line. Larry Tunsil and Titus Howard is the highest paid tackle combination in football, and they paid Shaq Mason also this offseason after trading for him from Tampa Bay. So so it's to, to me, they can't run the football. I don't think Bobby Slowick is doing CJ any favors with, with how – intent he is on running the football i don't know if you saw yesterday there was a graphic making the rounds we all saw it here in houston because it really affected the texans but it was it was the passing rate on early downs first and second down so far this year the percentage of time teams have passed on first and second down while the game is still in the balance you know while the win probability is between 20 and 80 percent so it's not a blowout either way the Texans were second to last in the league in the amount of times they pass on early downs, and they don't run the football well. And so what does that equate to in play? And by the way, the teams that they're next to in the standing, 
Arizona's in last place. They just traded their quarterback in a seventh-round pick for a sixth-round pick. The Giants are in 30th place. They've had a combination of Daniel Jones and Terod Taylor as their quarterbacks so far, and Tommy DeVito, I guess, as their quarterbacks so far this season. And if you start to go up the list from there, it's a it's 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 Chicago. It's it's bad offensive teams. And then you got C.J. Stroud, who's been good, sitting there down at the bottom of this list. Meanwhile, you look at the top of the list, the teams that throw the most on first and second down, and it's Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa. I'm not saying C.J. is those guys. I, I am saying he belongs more in that group than he does the group he's with in terms of play selection. And I would even go look. You look at like the 7th through 12th most frequent passers on first and second down. And it's Kirk Cousins and Geno Smith and Dak Prescott. Like, guys are in that next tier of quarterback. I think CJ's in that tier already, if you ask me. So I don't think they're doing him any favors by being so purposeful and trying to run the football conventionally on early downs. They're putting him, and CJ's mentioned this in press conferences, not complaining like I am right now, but he's just mentioned it as a fact, is that they have been put in a lot of third and not very manageable third and not very manageable number of yard situations on third down and I think so much of it is they're doing it willfully you know they throw incomplete on first down so they run on second down and you're willfully putting yourself in third eight because you suck at running the football so I think like that that to me is if I look at this offense the last few games and certainly the Carolina game is an your original question about the Carolina game I think it was a combination of that the play calling you know they passed 24 times they ran 30 times they run for under, you know, 3.6 yards a carry. And even the good runs they have, Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary are breaking tackles literally two yards behind the line of scrimmage and then getting eight yards. Like, they're not blocked well. That plus penalties. They had a bunch of bad penalties in this lab. They had 10 penalties in the last game. So um, just a lot of mistakes in that game. It's a very winnable game. You know, they, they went to, if they went down and got a field goal to make it 16-12, to 12, they win that game. Instead, they get a delay a game penalty at the Carolina 35-yard line, and a 53-yard field goal turns into a 58-yard field goal that D'Amico Ryans is not going to attempt. He pooch-punted instead. Instead of 16-12, to it's 13-12. to Carolina comes down and gets the game-winning field goal. So little things like that that this team's just not good enough to be able to overcome. Yeah, and I suppose then looking ahead to kind of the, the rest of the season, we're kind of at the, the halfway point. Outside of the, the Bengals and... Uh, a Jags team who are good, but who are divisional rivals. I think the Texans don't fear them maybe in the, the same way. They beat them once game. this year. They beat them in week yeah. in Jacksonville, you know? Uh, and divisional games are, are always tight and a bit strange. So outside of the Bengals, who who look to be back to their best and, and they've got to get the wins, it's not exactly a murderer's role. So sitting at three and four, what what are the expectations for for this team? Yeah, I think um, I said seven and ten before the season started. Somewhere along the way of them beating Jacksonville and Pittsburgh and New Orleans and getting to three and three, I kind of recalibrated it to I think they can compete for the division, whatever that is. You know, if it's ten wins, nine wins. The Carolina game obviously was kind of a wake up call. You know, you get the only winless team beating you in a game where you're tremendously sloppy. I think the good news about that for Texan fans is I think the Texans more beat themselves than they went out there and got whooped by the Panthers. Um, so, uh, I think you look at the, not just the teams, you look at the quarterbacks, they play the rest of the way. That's, that's one of the mysteries right now. A few of these things that kind of hang in the balance is okay. They play, as you mentioned, they play Tampa Bay this weekend then they're at Cincinnati. Then they've got three straight home games and two of them are against Arizona and Denver. 
is Kyler Murray going to be starting that Arizona game? Now, I think even if he if he starts or if he doesn't start, the Texans should be favored in that game. But it certainly changes the calculus having a healthy Kyler Murray out there versus you know Clayton Tune or whatever they're doing with their quarterback position now that they've traded Dobbs. Um, they play the Jets in New York. You know Zach Wilson will still be the quarterback. It's a good defense. Cold weather. Um, and then the big the big swing for me column has always been they play the Tennessee Titans week 15 and week 17 this year. And I think it's still a mystery as to what Tennessee is going to be in in week 15. Like, I know it's been one good game for Will Levis. It was a tremendous game. Credit him for that game. There's just as good a chance he comes back in the next two or three games and he looks like a rookie. You know what I mean? Like, he's not able to just loft the ball downfield to DeAndre Hopkins and let D-Hop go make a play. I've seen D-Hop make a whole lot of quarterbacks look better than they actually are through the years being a Houstonian. So I think that's the big question to me is, what is Tennessee in week 15 and week 17? Is it a Tannehill show? Are they still workshopping Will Levis? What is Will Levis at that point? That's the big variable to me because barring some cataclysmic change for any of these teams, we kind of know what they are. I say Cleveland maybe also is sandwiched in between those two Tennessee games. You know, what's Deshaun Watson at that point? Is he even their quarterback? Is it P.J. Walker? Point being, you and I have just spent two minutes talking about this, and no, no names like Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Tua Tungavailoa, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, they played already in week one. They don't have to see him again. If they do, it's good news. It means it's in the postseason. Um, and, and you know, probably uh, you know, uh, Joe Burrow is probably the only one that fits into that cast of characters, that that level of quarterback that they see the rest of the way. I, I think they're going to – I think it's going to be a lot like – a lot like the last month has been for the Texans. I think they're going to win a couple games you don't expect them to win. I think they're going to lose a game or two that feel like this Carolina loss last week, and they probably fin with, finish with eight or nine wins would be my guess. And, nine, and yeah. nine, wins, nine wins might get you in in the AFC. The whole AFC right now, other than a couple elite teams, is all three or four wins right now. Nine wins is going to get somebody into the postseason in the AFC. Yeah, it's just who will that be? You mentioned his his name. I have to to ask, obviously, about Deshaun Watson, and he's going to be coming back. Um, are a two parter, I suppose. A, are you surprised that he has struggled again this season? Um, when when he has been on the field, and B, what kind of reception can he expect when he if he takes the field in Houston? Yeah, I think, answer your first question, I am surprised. I was of mind that he would look better this season. I thought Deshaun, with everything behind him, you know, he's playing in a new system that takes even good quarterbacks who are veteran quarterbacks a year or so to get their legs under them, you know, learning that system. You know, we saw Aaron Rodgers. It took him a year with Matt LaFleur before he really got on track and he became an MVP. Matt Ryan, similarly, you know, Kyle Shanahan was the OC in Atlanta, in 2015, 2016 was the year that Matt Ryan finally got his legs under him, won an MVP. This is not me thinking Deshaun was going to win an MVP in Cleveland, but I thought he would certainly look more like the old Deshaun Watson than what he looks like now. He looks he, he looks like all these bad quarterbacks look, like where you just expect bad things to happen for them on a Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday basis. So I'm I'm very surprised that that he still, when he's when he's gotten under center, looks the way he does. I think with him, it's more psychological. I know he's dealing with a shoulder injury or whatever. He wasn't dealing with any injuries last year when he looked as bad as he did. I think just knowing kind of like the psychoanalysis on Deshaun Watson, you know, when you cover a guy for, you know, four or five years, you do enough press conferences. I did a couple events with Deshaun Watson when he was here, like sit down Q&As with him. And I can't profess to say like I know him like we're buddies or something like that. But I think you observe somebody enough for four years. I thought for sure that this this whole saga, where it would mess with him 
would be he does not like being disliked. And I thought that might mess with him psychologically. And I think that's part of it. I think that's I, I think I think that I don't think he fits in Cleveland. And I don't even mean the team. I'm talking about the city. If you look at Deshaun on social media, like he you you barely know he's a football player half the time. He's he's posting pictures of his trips to France and England and driving Ferraris and wearing three thousand dollar ripped jeans and and all those things. So which does not I don't know if you've ever been to Cleveland, Colin, but it's not that kind of city. You know, like it's a very blue collar Midwestern city. So I was always a little bit dicey about the how Deshaun would connect with the city of Cleveland. I don't think that's gone well. Um, so I'm surprised that it hasn't gotten better only because it would be hard for it to have gotten worse than it got last year for him. He was bad last year. He's been bad again this year. Um, so so there's that. What was the second part of your question? I uh, the the reception, like you think he might get if he does if he does play in Houston. Yeah, this will be the second time he's come back to Houston. We should point that out. He, he came back his first game as a Brown was here mm-hmm. in Houston last year, and it was a chilly reception, probably highlighted by the wife of the owner Cal McNair snubbing Deshaun when he came over to say hi to the McNairs before the game. Hannah McNair, who's awesome by the way, literally turned her back on him to talk to exactly nobody. And then as soon as he walked away, she turned back around and jumped back into the conversation with Cal and, and Jimmy Haslam and whoever else was standing there. Um, I think it's going to be probably a, a probably a pretty cold reception again. Like, I don't – you know, it's not like Deshaun just demanded a trade and had all these nice things to say about Houston on the way out. Like, Deshaun damaged a lot of people on the way out. Deshaun stuck around for a year longer than we all expected him to because he couldn't be traded. Like, you literally could not move him unless you were going to take pennies on the dollar to do it. Um, I think there's just too much broken glass. I don't think Deshaun's ever going to have a kumbaya with the city of Houston. And by that point in the season, that's week 16. I mean, both those teams in all chances are going to be fight. Those could be two teams that are directly fighting with each other for a wild card spot. So that game is going to have some juice. The game is on Christmas Eve. So people will be all jacked up for the holidays and ready to go. So I think it's uh, – I think the atmosphere will be electric, and I think a big part of that electricity is going to be a lot of vitriol for Deshaun Watson. No doubt about it. Zero doubt about it. Um, you've been gener- very generous of your time. I want to get you out of here on this because I'm ju- just intrigued to to know, outside of the Texans, is there anything that has caught your eye across the league this year? It can be a, a player, a coach, for, a, a, for positive, for negative, but something that stood out to you, Sean. To me, the biggest thing has been just the crisis that the league is in quarterback-wise right now. I can't ever remember a season where there's been so much turmoil at the quarterback position. It's a varying degrees. At the very bottom of it, I mean, we just talked about Deshaun Watson, but guys who are on big contracts, we mentioned Kyler Murray too. Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Sorry, Colin, Russell Wilson. Um Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, all, all, all turmoil for different reasons. Rodgers got hurt the fourth snap of the season. Um, you know, Kyler Murray got hurt last year. Deshaun and Russ just are not very good football players right now. Um, you know, even Joe Burrow signs his huge deal. And what happens? First thing that happens, he gets a calf strain. You know what I mean? And so, um, so and then now Kirk Cousins with the Achilles injury. Even... You know, even Patrick Mahomes just not looking exact. I know they're six and two, but it's not necessarily because of Mahomes. Their defense has been really good this year. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There, I mean, Justin Fields. You know, I think Chicago thought, okay, rush for a thousand yards last year. Maybe we got something now with Justin Fields. There's been plenty of guys who you expect to be good. You know, Lamar Jackson's been great. Tua's been really good. Josh Allen has been, you know, kind of up and down this year. 
Jalen Hurts has been excellent. But there are just so many teams right now that have some sort of turmoil, and a lot of it expensive turmoil at quarterback, which I think, which I think, I think lends itself to the bigger story to me, which is especially in the AFC. It's like who is coming out of this thing? You know, like who is coming out of this? Who is making the playoffs in the AFC? You know, you got four teams with four wins. You got six teams with three wins. I mean, that's two thirds of the conference right there that are in just this this massive you know, cesspool of teams, you know, like that, that the, that the Broncos are only within a game of the Bengals. You know what I mean? Like it does, does it feel like it should be that way right now? You know, like, does it feel, hell, it doesn't feel like the Raiders should have the same number of wins as some of these teams with three wins and they just fired their coach yesterday. So that's probably the, like the biggest thing to me is just, it's, uh, it, it, especially in the AFC, um, it's just it's wild, man. Like it's it is literally like a game of survivor. And if you're the team that has the last quarterback standing, you might be the one that has the best chance of of, of going all the way. It's it's made it a lot of fun to watch. And I've had a lot more fun watching this year, just because at least for now, these other games matter to Houstonians. You know what I mean? By seven weeks in the last two seasons, we were one and six each year and we knew which way the wind was blowing. You know, like we it was one and six and there was no coming back. Now at least it's like okay, well this game we got to root for this team, and this game we got to root for that team. And I know other people that root for other teams are hearing me say this, like yeah, that's how the NFL works. That's not how it's worked in Houston the last three years at all. <laughs> it's been just this slodge of misery. So it's uh, good to be back among the living. I'll just say that, Colin. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. It certainly is interesting, and uh, maybe depending on how the the season plays out, we might can catch back on as we head towards the the holidays and see how things are going but Sean it's always always fun to, to talk with you thank you for your time and uh, I'll make sure to get the uh, links to your podcast uh, in the the show notes for now Sean Pendergast thanks very much alright thank you Colin appreciate it thank you for listening and if you're enjoying the show please do vote with your fingers and rate review or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on every click every like every positive review and every additional subscriber makes a huge difference it helps others to find the show, and we really do appreciate it. We'd also love to hear from you and to interact with NFL fans on our social channels, wherever you're listening in the world, so please do get in touch.